Thank you, Brother Randy. I'm praying for the offering. And as you give, people of God, give as unto the Lord. And it just so happens to show up here in and through Strong Tower Bible Church. Good morning, good morning, good morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. And we are rejoicing and we're glad in it. Because Dr. Jewell led us in worship this morning. And the song said, right now, in good times and bad, you are God alone and you are on your throne. Right now, in good times and bad, you are God alone and you are on your throne. Does anybody believe that today by faith? You see, God is on the throne and he's not wondering what's going to happen. He's not worrying about what has happened or what will happen. He is God. He is in control. He is sovereign. He is our king. There's no God like Jehovah. And right now, in good times and bad, you are God alone and you are on your throne. Amen. Amen, somebody. Well, we are in a new series to start a new year. And it's called Come As You Are, Responding Well to the Invitations of Jesus Christ. So for the next several weeks, we're going to open up the Bible and we're going to see how God, who became flesh, who walked among us, how he extended invitations to the weak, to the weary, to the lost, to the last, to the least, and even to the little ones, how he invited people to come to him. Oh, my God. We're just going to have a good time thanking God that he invited us to come as we are to him. Because the good thing is we can come as we are, but when you stay with him, you will never stay the same. Oh, God. So today we're going to pick up on part two of what we started last week. Come, take my yoke. From Matthew 11. But before we go to Matthew 11, I need you to turn over to Matthew chapter 27. That's where we'll begin today as we talk about come, take my yoke, part two. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are God and you are God all by yourself. That you are the king of the universe. Mm -mm 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 -mm. And you have allowed us to come, to be accepted, to be received, to be forgiven, to be placed into the body of Christ, to be taken out of darkness and into the marvelous light, to be adopted, no longer being solely identified as the sons of Adam, but now we are sons of the living God, daughters of the living God. And we thank you that we've been born again, that we've been saved, that we've been set free. Thank you, Jesus, our great emancipator, our liberator. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life on Calvary that we could have life, life abundantly and life eternally. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the gospel, for the good news that our God reigns for the good news that our God came down to lift us up that our God put himself in harm's way on that cross so that he could take our penalty upon himself 
And we thank you for the good news that he is resurrected. Thank you, Jesus, that you got up. Thank you, Lord, that you got up and you are alive and well. And we thank you that the same spirit that raised you up is alive in your people today. Lord, raise us up from discouragement. Raise us up, Lord, from just feeling horrible physically, emotionally, mentally. Just raise us up, Lord. Quicken us. And I thank you that one of the ways you do that not only is through prayer and through fellowship, even if it's virtual, but through the Bible, through the word of God. So, Lord, send forth your word, as the psalmist says, and heal your people. Send forth your word and save the lost. Send forth your word and encourage the body. And as usual, Lord, I stand here today in great need. Thank you that I have your grace. Lord, I confess my weakness because you said when I do that, that's when I can be strong. So Lord, would you strengthen my backbone today? Let me stand up straight. Would you make my forehead like flint? And would you give me a heart of flesh that I may be your mouthpiece in this hour to feed your people your word? And I pray for other pastors in this community, in this city, in this state, in this country, and around the world, especially the persecuted church, that men and women who stand behind the sacred desk today opening up the holy word of God would speak what thus saith the Lord and leave the results to you. Lord, we all know that our nation is in a crisis. But Lord, that's really a good time to know who Christ is. So help us to preach. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Matthew chapter 27. Well, as you know, the wrong kind of history was made this past week. Yes, history was made on Wednesday uh, when we saw a pro-Trump crowd, really a pro-Trump mob, in our nation's capital as they rioted and even raided the Capitol building. This past week, we, we saw history because that building had not been corrupted or attacked by an enemy, the British, since 1812 when they set it on fire. And so for all those years in the past, we come to 2021 where a mob, not of the British, but of so-called American citizens who were incited and ignited by the President of the United States. That mob, they came and they rioted and they raided the Capitol. At this point, five people have died. Many more have been injured. And unfortunately, there are people still going around saying that those folks were patriots. No, I beg to differ. They were not patriots. They were pawns. They were puppets. They were used by others, and namely by the President of the United States. They were his puppets and his pawns. They were not patriots. They were insurrectionists. They were rebels. And we saw that even as they carried the flag of treason the Confederate flag, into the Capitol building, something that never happened during the Civil War, but it happened in 2021 
were these people carrying flags and banners, flags even with the name of Trump on them, and some of them even carrying Jesus Saves banners. And they carried with them also Proud Boy banners, and they were going in to, 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 to take out their agenda of hate and rebellion and insurrection and even domestic terrorism on our country. But I'm so glad that it was halted. I'm so glad that it was stopped. And even last Sunday when I preached about beware of these preachers who want to put you under a yoke of bondage, a yoke of legalism, even a yoke of Christian nationalism or white nationalism where people uplift the empire over the kingdom of God. That when I went home, I was told that there was a rally in Franklin, Tennessee, last Sunday, right after church, of people right there in Franklin, outdoors, unmasked, uh, getting ready, getting hyped up, getting pumped up so they could later board at least five buses to go into Washington, D.C. and to be, quote-unquote, patriots with all of their zip ties and their deer spray and all of the things and hanging nooses, all those things. Those folks got on buses, and many of them today that left that moment of anarchy have come back, and I'm sure they're in churches right now, Worshiping somewhere in Williamson County and Davidson County and Rutherford County. They're somewhere being told right now that God okays what they did. That, that, that mob that they had become, that God somehow okays that. But I've got to stand up today in the name of Jesus and let you know that God had nothing to do with that. No, no, no. Our God is not the author of confusion, and he surely does not promote violence. Jesus says if his kingdom was of this world, his servants would fight to maintain it. But no, no, his kingdom is of another world. And we're praying that that kingdom would come and that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. But it is not a kingdom that is to be taken by violence. It is a kingdom of love. It is a kingdom of grace. It is a kingdom of mercy. It is a kingdom of forgiveness. It is a kingdom of unity and community and diversity and blessedness. That is the kingdom we are asking to come. And until that kingdom comes, we will respect governing authorities. At least that's what the Bible tells us we ought to do. And I find it strange that whenever there is a Republican in office, Evangelicals will say, Romans 13, we are to submit to the laws of the land and the leaders of the land because they've been placed there by God. But I find it strange that when a Democrat comes into office, Romans 13 is not mentioned. I didn't hear Romans 13 for eight years when Barack Obama was in office. But as soon as Donald Trump gets in office, all we hear is Romans 13. And now that Biden has been elected to be president, to which some still cannot say that he is the president-elect, but that's okay. He has been put there by God, whether you like it or not, just as much as God put Trump in office. And Romans 13 still holds true. Oh, my. So I'm here to just say that mob rule and mob violence, this is not the first time we've seen this, unfortunately. And again, God is not in that. And we need to be careful because we read of a mob situation taking place in Matthew chapter 27. And it was a mob of destruction and violence. And so just as there are pastors today who preach in such a way 
that they're not spurring on their members and congregants towards love and good deeds. They are spurring them on to insurrection and destruction. Oh, we have to be careful because the Pharisees did the same thing. They didn't spur people on to love and good deeds. They spurred them on to insurrection and destruction and to bloodshed, and they thought they were doing it in the name of God. And it all happened 2,000 years ago at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, before Jesus was even crucified, we read this in Matthew chapter 27, verse 15. The Bible says, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. We go down now to verse 20. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Did you see what I just read? The chief priests and the elders, the rabbis, the leaders, the spiritual leaders of that time, they persuaded the multitudes. They persuaded them that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered, verse 21, and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him, let him be crucified. So there it is. The people have been persuaded. Uh, the people have been guided or misled into a rebellion. Uh, they had been led into violence, bloodshed, the bloodshed of the Christ. Verse 24, this is not before you, but it's in the book. It says, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, uh, what a weak leader, <laughs> because he saw he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person you see to it. So he abdicated his responsibility as the governor, and he told the people, y'all go ahead and see to it. In other words, y'all about to tear this place up. Y'all go ahead and see to it, which was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So this is not the first time we've seen a mob move. They chanted crucify, crucify, when just six days prior, they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest when Jesus came into Jerusalem humble and lowly riding on the foal of a donkey. The people were praising him, saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But in just a few days later, they went from Hosanna to crucify. And my question is, how? And the reason why they changed like that from giving praise to shouting bloody mayhem is because they were under the wrong yoke of influence and leadership. Because the people, we are like sheep and, and we can be led astray by shepherds who are led astray. And if the blind lead the blind, they both fall into a pit. And so they could change on a dime because they were under the yoke, the wrong yoke of the Pharisees and the scribes. And we said last week that a yoke is something that is common on farms and with people who work with animals. I have here before me a yoke, 
And it's a yoke that Pastor Jerry made for me. Thank you, Pastor Jerry, for making this yoke for us so that we can see because many of us are visual learners. But a yoke is a wooden frame or harness placed around the necks of two animals, which allows them to plow or pull in unison. So, so animals, now, now, now picture me and another person over here, or a steer here and a steer there. They are under the same yoke, and they are to work together, plow together, work in unison in a field. And so Jesus stands, as you go over to Matthew chapter 11, go to Matthew 11, I'm coming back to my yoke. That thing he made is too nice for me to use it just once. I'm, I'm going to use this again in this sermon. Thank you, Pastor. But again, this yoke is that frame that was put over the, the necks of animals. And the Bible culture was an agrarian culture. And so they understood when Jesus would talk about yokes. As a matter of fact, we saw last week in Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 4, that Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and the scribes as being hypocrites and people who sit in Moses' seat and who want to give people commands that they themselves will not do. And Jesus says they put heavy burdens on the people. And this is speaking of a yoke because attached to a yoke would be a load or a burden. And so Jesus says these kinds of preachers, these kinds of rabbis, rather than putting light yokes on the people, they put heavy burdens and heavy yokes on the people called legalism, self-righteousness, and again in our culture, Christian nationalism and white supremacy. Then over in Acts chapter 15, when there were Gentiles who were coming into the kingdom, we saw last week that there were many Jewish people who wanted Gentile people to be circumcised or to take the law of Moses as they received grace through Christ. And Peter stood up and said, no, 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 no. We're not going to put that yoke on the Gentiles that we nor our ancestors could bear. And Peter went on to say that it is by the grace of God that they are saved just as we are. So we're talking about grace today, not law. We're talking about grace today, not man-centered performance. We're talking about grace today and not legalism or bondage to what man says, his rules and his regulations. We're not even talking about being an American today because we know that that can be a yoke of bondage when that is elevated over being a citizen of the kingdom of God. No, no, we're talking about the grace of Jesus, which is a yoke of freedom. For it is for freedom that Christ has come to set us free. Therefore, do not be entangled again in a yoke of bondage. Because when Jesus gives us his yoke, it is a yoke of freedom, which is why he could stand and say in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, our Lord stood and cried out, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You're tired because you're trying to keep man's laws. You're tired because you're trying to keep the law of God, and you're falling. You're failing. You're under these spiritual bullies. And Jesus is saying, come to me. Say yes to me so that you can say no to them. Take up my yoke so that you can put their yoke down. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take 
take my yoke upon you, not the Baptist yoke, not the charismatic yoke, not the Assemblies of God yoke, not the Presbyterian yoke, not the Lutheran yoke, not the Methodist yoke. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh my God. Jesus extends the invitation. And by grace, I've not only taken the yoke of Jesus, but watch this. By grace, I've received and responded to his invitation to come. And I've not only taken the yoke of Jesus, but watch this. I'm in the yoke with Jesus. This is his yoke. I put down the, the yoke of performance-based acceptance. I put down the yoke of good works righteousness, thinking that I can work my way to heaven. I put down the yoke of, of, of being consumed with what man thinks. And I came to Jesus just as I was. And he received me in 1984, and he's still receiving me to this day. And I thank God that he adopted me and saved me and set me free. And I'm in his yoke. And so not only am I taking up his yoke, I'm in the yoke with him. The invisible one that you cannot see here is the spirit of the living God. He is with me. I'm in the yoke with him. This is his yoke, not mine. It's got his name on it. It's not mine. I'm in the yoke with Jesus. It's his yoke. And I'm with him today. And he is with me. My God, my God. Jesus was preaching very illustriously that day. And he wanted the people to understand what he was saying. That come take my yoke, but also I'll get in the yoke with you and you will be in the yoke with me. What a rabbi, what a teacher, what a leader. Because in that day, farmers would often pair their oxen up where you would have a strong oxen paired up with a weak oxen. You would have an older oxen paired up with a younger oxen. You would have an experienced oxen paired up with an inexperienced oxen. And so guess who the weak ones are in the yoke? Guess who the struggling ones are in the yoke? It surely isn't Jesus. It's you and it's me. Which is why we're going to see two things from the text today. Is that we can learn from Jesus in his yoke. And we can lean on Jesus in his yoke. Oh, I don't know if y'all ready. We can learn from Jesus in his yoke. And we can lean on Jesus in his yoke, what a master, what a mighty God. Amen, amen. So the first point, learn from Jesus in his yoke. Look at verse 29. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Amen. I, uh, you know, we're, we're in a time of distance learning where you got to go to school virtually and you're not in the classroom with your teachers. Uh, but, but we got a teacher who, who, hey, hey, he's in the yoke with us. There's no distance learning with the master. There's up close learning with the master. And he's as personable with me as he is with you. I, sometimes I think he's only here to teach me. I mean, he's that close. He's that real. And you may feel that same way. How can he make all of these pupils and disciples and students feel like they're the only one in the yoke with him? Because that's how awesome our omnipresent God is. He'll hang with you late in the midnight hour. He'll be with you when you're going through whatever you're going through. He's there to teach you. He says you need to learn from me. 
And the word learn in the Greek is the word mathetes. And this is where the word disciple comes from when Jesus says, go and make disciples, go and make mathetes. Because a disciple is a student, a pupil, or a learner. And so what Jesus says, go and make learners of me. Go and make students of me. And so when Jesus gives this invitation, he's saying to the people out there in the crowds who have been harassed, who are struggling, who've been under the wrong yoke, he's saying, come on to me, take my yoke and be my disciple. Come and take my yoke and be my student, be my pupil. Come under my tutelage. Come under my authority. Come under my training. Come under my leadership. Come under my covering. Come, come, come. And when you come, come as a learner, which means you're going to have to unlearn some of the stuff that they were teaching you when you were under the wrong yoke. Come and learn of me. And this is in the aorist imperative, which means that this is point action. In other words, do this now, learn of me right now, and it is a command. So Jesus is commanding people to come to him and learn from him because there's no teacher like Rabbi Jesus. (laughs) There's no teacher like Rabbi Jesus, who, as we saw last week, Other rabbis, you would have to go up to them and ask, can you be their disciple? But this particular rabbi didn't operate by that pious way of ministering to people. No, he went up to people and said, follow me. He extended an invitation to people saying, take my yoke. That's the kind of rabbi that I'm so glad that I'm under. Amen, amen. You need to be a disciple of Rabbi Jesus. You need to be a student of Rabbi Jesus, and you need to do that right now. If you've never done it, if you've never submitted your life to Rabbi Jesus, you need to do it today because the Spirit of the Lord is calling you. He is leading you. He is saying today is the day of salvation. Come under the yoke of Rabbi Jesus. How do you do that? By faith. You receive the Lord by faith. Come unto Jesus today. Come unto Jesus today. And so the God that I serve, I'm not only in the yoke with him, but I've taken the yoke that is his. And Jesus puts his neck in the yoke. He puts his neck in the yoke. Can you imagine pompous, prideful Pharisees putting their necks in the yokes with the people and doing common things like working in a field, but not our God. Our God humbled himself, and we'll see that in a minute, and he puts himself in the yoke with us. And it shouldn't be so hard to believe that he puts his neck in the yoke because as Kirk Whalem said to me this past week, he's the God who put his neck on the line to save our necks from sin. So he'll put his neck on a yoke because he put his neck on the line on the cross. Hey, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. That's my God. That's my king. How can you not serve a God like this? Oh, my, oh, my. So, so Jesus says, you got to learn from me. Well, master, rabbi, what are we supposed to learn Well, verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My fetes, be my disciple, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. What am I supposed to learn? Number one, you've got to learn how to be gentle. You got to learn how to be gentle. Why? Because the master is gentle. And the proof that you are a disciple of a teacher is that you start Mimicking, imitating, sounding like, and doing things that your teacher does. 
And so Jesus is the gentle one who's encouraging his people, his followers, his disciples to be gentle just as he is gentle. And to be gentle means to be mild, to be kind, and to be tender. Some versions will say meek, that I am meek. And, and we know that meek does not mean weak. It means having power, but it is restrained. When you are meek, you have power, but it is under control. When you are gentle, you choose to suppress your power because you don't feel the need to flex and show your power. You got power, but you don't have to flaunt your power. You are a gentle person, but don't get it twisted, though, because the lamb can turn into a lion in a minute under the right circumstances and situations. So just because I am a follower of Christ and I am meek and the meek inherit the earth, don't you dare think that meek means weak because the one I follow who is meek, who is also a lamb, we know that he is the lion from the tribe of Judah and he would roar from time to time. So every now and then those who follow this teacher, we're going to learn how to be gentle, but also we're going to learn how to speak up and confront injustice, speak up and confront unrighteousness. And so as my man Sherman Smith likes to say, Jesus was lamb and lion. And as we follow our master, there is lamb and lion in us. And the wisdom we need from God is to know when to be which. When am I to be a lamb and be quiet and silent? Or when am I to be lion and roar and let it be known? My God, thank you, G. What a rabbi we have in Jesus. Jesus was gentle. He was attentive and kind to people, especially to the outcasts and the marginalized of society. He was gentle with them, and he saved his more harsher words with the religious people in the community. But with the lost, with the sinners, with the publicans, Jesus was a friend to them. He was gentle, and Jesus had a way with sinners that they felt comfortable coming to him, whereby they didn't feel it like they were being condemned by him, like folks with the other yokes. They, they could come and eat with him, but they weren't so comfortable that they remained the same. Somehow his love compelled them without condemning them or condoning their behavior. That's so deep, I got to say it again. Somehow this teacher, this rabbi, these sinners felt comfortable with him. And I believe it was because his love compelled them and he did not condemn them nor condone their behavior. And somehow when they came to him, they left out different from how they came. They came as they were, but they left more like him. Oh my, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He was gentle. <laughs> But who was not gentle at that time? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the lawyers, those rabbis, they were not gentle. These people were harsh. They were mean. They were inconsiderate. And they were even murderers when it came down to it. So these people who had this yoke on their followers, they were not gentle leaders. And what you want to do when you're looking for a pastor, a leader, you want to be able to follow people who are following Christ, people who say, imitate me as I'm seeking to imitate Christ. You want to be able to look and see if there's some gentleness in those folks. Because one of the fruits of the Spirit 
Galatians 5.23 is gentleness. Because if you're harsh all the time, if you're mean all the time, man, the spirit of Christ is not working in you, Christian, the way he wants to work in you. So, so, so you got to learn how to, to be gentle, to have a soft heart. You got to know how to weep with folks who weep. You got to know how to mourn with people who mourn. You, you can't always be on top and be right. Sometimes you got to be wrong, which is the proof that you're gentle because it shows that you're teachable. And so we ought to be gentle people as students of Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, come on, y'all, be gentle. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, and they need to meet some gentle Christians, not these ones who think they're doing God's business by storming and raiding and doing all kinds of those things. No, no, the world, they, they know that that's not a good witness of the Lord. You see, people may be lost, but they're not stupid. People might be lost, but they're not gullible. They may not know Jesus, but they know that that's not Jesus. So what wins Jesus? Sometimes it's just being gentle. Because the Bible even says a gentle word will turn back wrath. You see, this is the gentle and then lowly Savior. So Jesus says, I'm going to teach you. Learn from me how to be gentle. Husbands, learn how to be gentle with your wives. Uh, parents, learn how to be gentle with your children. Bosses, learn how to be gentle with people who work with you and for you. Be gentle, be kind, be considerate, be compassionate, because that's what our Savior is like. But he goes on and says, let, let, let me also encourage you to be lowly in heart. Let, let me teach you, because when we're up in this yoke together and you're close to me, no long-distance learning, no secondhand learning where you can only learn about the master through other folk. No, you, the master wants you to learn about him from him. Yeah, God uses teachers and preachers and pastors so we can learn about him, but, but there's an anointing you have that will teach you things that no man can teach you, and that's why Jesus wants to get close to me and you in the yoke so we can learn from him and know his voice. So the question, are you in the yoke? <laughs> are you enjoying being in the yoke with the master today? My God, that's where the best teaching occurs that, because he is my ultimate discipler. Yeah, a man in college named Mike Faulkner discipled me and showed me how to read the Bible. But man, he wasn't calling me to worship him as the discipler. He was leading me to worship Jesus as the ultimate discipler. So watch out for people who want to disciple you and they make it seem as if the only way you can grow is with them. No, the only way we can grow is with Jesus. And the best disciples are people who point you to him, not to some book, unless it's the Bible, <laughs> and, and, and not to some style or way. No, it's Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus. And not only being gentle, but being lowly in heart. Ah, to be lowly in heart means to be humble, to be low in status, and to be low in importance. Now, 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 it speaks of you having the wherewithal to make yourself small. I like how John the Baptist, when he was out there preaching in the wilderness and, and people are beginning to tell him how great he is. And John had to let him know, wait a minute, now hold up. It's not about me. It's about the one that I'm preaching about. Because the one who's coming behind me really is before me and I'm not even worthy to carry his shoes. So, so don't get it twisted. I am not the Christ. Y'all ain't going to put that pressure on me. I know y'all want to worship people. No, I'm not the one to worship. You need to worship the Son of God. So I must decrease that he might increase. 
And so when you're walking with him in the yoke, you become lowly. You put yourself in second place and you acknowledge that God is first place. And you can even go lower to third place and put your neighbor before yourself, as Paul encourages us in in the book of Philippians. So to be lowly in heart, Jesus was lowly. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells us how lowly Christ became. Because the Bible says that we ought to have this mind in us, in Philippians 2, that was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be selfishly clung to or grasped. But no, he emptied himself and made himself nothing or of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. So we see how our Lord took a stairway from heaven and he came down through 42 generations and he came into the world through a poor virgin girl named Mary through her womb and he was born poor and he identified with the poor shepherds. He was reared and raised in obscurity and ignominy. Jesus lowered himself and not only that, he lowered himself to be set up by the state to die at the hands of an unjust government, to die not just a death but a cruel and common death reserved only for criminals and hanging on a cross naked, bludgeoned and bloodied in order to set us free from our sin. He humbled himself. The one who left the very portals of glory came down into a toilet bowl earth to save nasty folks like us. He humbled. He was low. And if we're going to walk with him in the yoke, he teaches us how to make yourself of no reputation. (laughs) So, yeah, thank God for the accomplishments he's blessed you with. He gave you the ability to be who you are and do what you do. But don't get it twisted. It's not about you or what you've done. It's about him. And if we follow him, we've got to learn how to set some things aside sometimes and humble ourselves and be lowly. But who wasn't lowly in that time? Again, we know Jesus was lowly. He touched hurting people. He touched people with leprosy. He hung out with prostitutes and tax. He was lowly. He, he, he got down there where the people were. But who wasn't lowly? Those Pharisees. They weren't going to eat with those people. They weren't going to touch those people. As a matter of fact, they're the kinds, according to Jesus, that when they would be in the marketplaces, they would like for everybody to know who they were and to know their name and greet them, Rabbi, in the marketplace. They would wear robes that would have big collars or phylacteries on them so that people would see that they were men of God. They were holy. That Look at that robe that Rabbi so-and-so got on. They weren't lowly folk. We're talking about a God, Jesus, who, who, who had no place to lay his head. We're talking about a God that when he died, all he had were the clothes on his back. Ha, ha, ha. He was lowly. And those who make themselves low are the ones that God will exalt when it's all said and done. And so who is not lowly in our culture right now? Man, these Christian nationalists and many of these white evangelical pastors and Christians. They're not lowly. They're not humble. They're not teachable. 
they rarely ever admit that they're wrong. Or if they do apologize, they ruin the apology with an excuse. <laughs> they're not lowly. Uh, uh, they're still about God, guns, and Trump. <laughs> That's not being lowly. <sighs> and again, who should be lowly? The disciples of Jesus, his followers, his students. You know, with all of the ugly things we saw on Wednesday, the pictures, the videos, police officers being crushed, learning that a police officer had his head caved in by a fire extinguisher who died later, seeing all these things before us, we almost missed Representative Andy Kim, a congressman who after the rioters and rebels were taken out of the Capitol, this leader went around with a trash bag, lowered himself, humbled himself, and began to pick up the trash from the rioters as they smeared feces on walls and urine on the wall. This man, this man with power, went around on his knees and on his hands, cleaning up. That is leadership. Why? Because our Savior, the Most High, made himself the most low, not only on Calvary's cross, but in a practical way when he washed the feet of his disciples. And he says, if you really want to be my student, do what I do and wash other people's feet. Whether that's literal washing feet, which is fine, or again, making yourself small to bless people, to honor other people. It's not always about us. Oh my, we got to learn from him. Because when we learn from him to be gentle and lowly, Jesus says, we will find rest for our souls. Because we're not restful when we're harsh. We're not restful when we're prideful. But we are at rest when we are meek, gentle, humble, and lowly. We find rest to our souls, suke in the Greek. And when you're suke, your soul is at rest, it spills over into your body being at rest. And you're at rest because of who you're in the yoke with. You're at rest because of who you're learning from. You're at rest, rest because you've watched him live everything he's told you he wants you to live. You're at rest because you realize it's not up to me, but it's up to God. So you need rest. But finally, lean on me in my yoke. Not only learn from me in my yoke, but Jesus is saying, lean on me in my yoke. Look at verse 30. Jesus says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can I ask you, what was Jesus talking about? How is his yoke easy and his burden light? Implying that the yokes that they came from were hard and heavy. But the master, Rabbi Jesus, is saying, when you come and take my yoke, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why is that? Well, remember when I told you that farmers would often pair weaker oxen with stronger oxen in order to teach the younger oxen the ropes? <laughs> you know, Jesus said, teach, I, I, I'll teach you, learn from me, because I know you don't know what you're doing, but if you get in the yoke with me, I'll teach you. And not only will I teach you, if you lean on me, the burden will be lighter. Why? Because I'm going to be doing the bulk of the pulling. 
In the yoke, I'm going to be doing the bulk of the work. Yeah, I've got work to do, but I'm only working out my salvation because God is working in me to will and to do. He's working in me that I can work out. And even as I work out, he's doing the bulk of the work. Why? Because he's the stronger oxen. He's the eternal oxen, if you will. And I'm in the yoke leaning on the master. I'm in the yoke learning from the master. And Jesus says, when you get in my yoke, it's going to be a little bit easier for you. I cannot imagine how people who don't know God make it through the times that we're in right now. Who do you lean on when you're going through what you're going through? I mean, I I know what you do. You end up turning to a bottle. You turn to some weed. You turn to some some fornication. You turn to this. You go out and buy a new this or another that in order to deal with the pain in your heart and the emptiness in your soul. And I'm like, man, I'm so glad because it's tough even when you got Jesus in this culture. But I'm so glad I can lean on this older oxen the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that offends you, in the book of Mark, Jesus does so many wonderful miracles amongst the people that that many theologians liken him to a hardworking oxen because he's out touching and healing and delivering the people. Oh, my, 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 my. So he is the one in the yoke with me that I can lean on. In 1972, the late Bill Withers wrote and released the song Lean on me. And it's one of those kind of songs that you're like, how did this become a hit? Because it's so simple. (laughs) It's so plain. And and the way his voice is, you know, it's like, how did this become a hit? But this song has stood the test of time when, when he says some times in our lives. We all have pain. We all have sorrow. But if we are wise, we know that there's always tomorrow. Lean on me when you're not strong and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on for it won't be long till I'm going to need somebody to lean on. A hit, a hit, 1972. So much so that in 1986, the year that I graduated from high school, Baltimore, Maryland, Milford Mill High School, shout out to the Millers, graduated in 86. There was another song that came out. It was a remix to Bill Withers' song, Lean On Me, and it was put together by a group called Club Nouveau. Oh, yeah. And they put a go-go beat underneath of the song. And so, so it hit a whole nother generation, Lean On Me. And then a little bit later, Christian group DC Talk made a version of Lean On Me. Why? Because there's something about that song that Bill Withers sang, that Club Nouveau sang, that DC Talk sang. But can I let you know that 2,000 years ago, Jesus sang that song first. (laughs) He sang that song before Bill, before Club Nouveau, and before DC Talk. Because Jesus sang this song to his disciples when he would say to them, you know, uh, some times in our lives. We all have pain. We all have sorrow. But if you are wise, you will know that there's always tomorrow. Brothers, Andrew, Peter, James, Matthew, lean on me when you're not strong. And I'll be your friend. And I'll help you brothers to carry on. You see, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not to your own understanding. Because we're going to lean 
One way or another, you either going to lean on yourself or you're going to lean on God. Because to trust in the Lord is to lean on the Lord. And if you're not leaning intentionally and purposefully on the Lord, choosing to walk by faith and trust God, you're going to lean on yourself. You're going to lean on other people. You're going to lean on your money. You're going to lean on your, your things. And I'm here to let you know, you, your money, your friends cannot hold you up, especially when you're going through something. <laughs> but trust in the Lord. <laughs> lean not over here, but lean on him. You see, in 1887, songwriter Anthony Showalter wrote a song that we grew up singing in my church, and I'm sure you grew up singing in your church. And it's so, man, y'all better be happy I can't sing, because if I could sing, I'd be singing everything. But, but he said, no, I'll stick to preaching. But, but he wrote, what a fellowship, what a joy divine, <laughs> leaning on the everlasting arm. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on, leaning on the everlasting arms. Then we hit the chorus, leaning, leaning, safe and secure. From what? All alarms, leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. So, so I just got to ask you today, who you leaning on? <laughs> Who are you leaning on? Lean on the one that never dropped one of his children. Lean on the one who says, you're not heavy, you're my child. Lean on the one whose arms are not only everlasting, but his arms are full of mercy and full of compassion and full of grace and kindness for me and for you. I'm so glad to be in the yoke with the one who says, lean on me and I'll make it easier for you. Lean on me and I'll make the burden lighter for you. Yeah, you still got to do some pulling. You still got to do some carrying, but it ain't up to you. You're not by yourself. You are in this thing with me and I am in this thing with you. But, 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 but I'm going to say this now. I, I, I got to say this because there's another part of the song that, that, that Bill Withers wrote that, that, that I got to bring in right now. Because we know the first part Jesus sang to the guys saying, lean on me when you're not strong and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. But I believe Jesus also said to them, for it won't be long till I'm going to need somebody to lean on. Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying that Jesus, though he was God, he was also man. And he also had limitations and he could hurt and he could cry. He could be hungry. And there were times he had to lean on folks. They could lean on him, but in his humanity, he could lean on them. Who provided substance for the ministry of Jesus when he was going from place to place? It was the women, the business women, who put their money up in order to feed and take care of Jesus and his disciples. He leaned on the sisters. But then Jesus said, don't you miss this? Don't you miss this? In Luke chapter 22, verse 28, in the New International Version, Jesus says, you are those who have stood by me in my trials. So Jesus saying to his disciples, you've stood with me in my trials. And I'm like, Lord, when did they help you when you were going through hard times? Well, the Bible doesn't record every instance of Jesus's life, but obviously they were there for our Savior when he was hurting. And his guys that he was discipling turned around and helped their discipler. Remember when Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane right before he had to go to Calvary? 
He went to the garden to talk to his father. He had to lean on his father. But he also needed some men to, to lean on in that time too. And, and he says, Peter, James, John, come on with me and tarry with me. In other words, he was leaning on them during the, the, the toughest time of his earthly existence. And they fell asleep on him. He, he was expecting them to be up with him and crying out to the Father. Why is this important? Jesus teaches us how to lean on man. But above all, he teaches us how to lean on the Father. Some of us don't lean on nobody because we think we got this. Mm -mm -mm, you don't have this. You need to lean on people. But, but I got to say to folk who lean on people too much, you, you, you have made people uh, codependent. You, you are codependent on people. You lean on people too much and you don't lean on the Lord enough. God wants you to be like uh, David. David knew how to strengthen himself in the Lord, and he also knew how to lean on Jonathan to find strength in the Lord. So if you're going to have a healthy Christian life, you've got to have people in the natural realm you can lean on and that they can lean on you, but you also have to lean on the Father in the spiritual realm. So Jesus teaches us how to lean. He invites us to lean on him, but he shows us how to lean on others and ultimately how to lean on God. So I got to ask you, are you leaning today? Who are you leaning on today? I've got people in my life that I can lean on. Matter of fact, the first one is my bride, my beautiful bride. I can lean on her. She's my rib. She came out from my side, the place close to my heart. I lean on her because the Bible says she's my helper. That's what the Bible says. I lean on her, but I also know she's got limitations. So I have another helper in my life that I lean on called the helper, who is also known as the comforter, i.e. the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm going to send you another helper to be with you. I know you want to lean on your wife. I know you want to lean on your elders. I know you want to lean on your family, and you should. But you better make sure in all your leaning, you better lean on the Holy Spirit. Because I gave you help because I knew you would need help. Matter of fact, his name is Parakletos in the Greek, which translated means the one who comes along to help because you need to know how to lean on him when you're going through. He's the one who's there to help us. My God, thank you, Jesus. So are you leaning on the spirit of Christ today or are you doing it in your own strength? I know you can get up and go to work and you've been doing it. I know, but, 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 but God wants you to lean and depend and trust on him. It'll go easier with you. The load will be lighter with you. But when we do it in our own strength, man, it's heavy. And how foolish does it look? I'm in the yoke with the Lord. And rather than leaning on him, I'm trying to do it my own, on my own. Or I'm in the yoke with him and he's leading me this way. But I'm fighting him and I'm trying to go this way. And when you're going against the will of God, you're some tired folk. Ask Jonah. When you're running from God, you're tired. Man, you better work with God versus working against God in the yoke. Because when you don't work with him in the yoke, it's not easy. It's not light. It's hard and it's tough the way that it should. So submit yourself to the lead ox. Submit yourself to Jesus. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, stay in step with the Spirit. Don't get out of step with the Holy Spirit. Stay in step with the Spirit. So when the Spirit of God is moving and he goes this way, you stay in step with him and you go that way. Even if your friends aren't going that way, even if it's never been done before, you go that way because it's better to stay in step with God 
than to be out of step with man. He's in the yoke, and he's saying, lean on me. In the 1997 NBA Finals, it was the Bulls versus the Utah Jazz. Carl Malone and John Stockton versus Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. And this particular game in the finals was called the flu game. And this was the game that Michael Jordan had the flu, and some even thought he may have been food poisoned. But whatever the case, when the game started, you knew that Jordan wasn't at 100% capacity. He was weak. Matter of fact, they said he wasn't even sweating out there because he was sick. Like, like something was wrong with him. You could see it in his eyes. He, you know, he was limp, but he was out there anyway. And he was doing the best that he could, the best that he could, the best that he could, but he was exhausted trying to play through the flu. And when there would be a break from the action and the bulls would come to the sideline in order to get instruction from their coach, there is a famous picture of Michael Jordan leaning on Scottie Pippen. Oh, you don't hear me. You, you, you don't hear me. He, he's leaning on Scottie Pippen because he's weak, he's struggling, he's tired, he's done everything that he could, he can barely walk, and he needed somebody to lean on. And it was Scottie. And Scottie not only held him up, but he embraced Mike as they walked to the bench. I got a savior who's greater than Scottie Pippen, I tell you what. And he will hold us up when we lean on him, when we're struggling because of COVID, when we're struggling because of what we're going through mentally and psychologically and spiritually and relationally and financially. Oh, we can lean on him. And he says, come as you are. I know you're tired. I know you're broken. I know you're weary. Come as you are. You don't have to get yourself together before you come to me. You don't have to clean yourself up before you come to me. Just come to me as you are and I'll clean you up. Come to me as you are weak and I'll give you strength. Come to me. What a God. How can we not come to a savior like that? It can only be because we're arrogant and we're foolish. But come to him, Christian. Come to him, unbeliever, and he will hold you up. So today we saw that Jesus invites us to take his yoke. But not only that, we can learn from him in the yoke. And and we can lean on him in the yoke. And he's extending that same invitation to me and to you today. Will, will you come and take my yoke? Say yes to me so you can say no to them. Put those yokes down of being under the wrong leaders and man-pleasing. And, and take my yoke up and learn from me. I am gentle and I am humble. Lean on me and It'll be lighter and easier for you. How do you not take a deal like that? He says, come to me. Learn from me. Lean on me. Because I got to let you know something. That if you fool around and take up his yoke, you, 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 if you fool around and take up this yoke, not only will your life be changed for the better because of who you're yoked up with, you fool around, take his yoke, you're going to end up taking his cross. <laughs> you're going to end up taking his cross, and that's also made out of wood too. 
Pastor, what you talking about? Remember now, the context of Matthew, he's talking to Jewish people who are under the wrong leadership. And these Pharisees are putting a hard yoke on the people. And Jesus is saying, come out from them and come to me. And we don't know who came or how many came with how Matthew 11 closes. But I have to believe somebody responded to the invitation of Christ and followed him as one of his disciples. I have to believe that that invitation did not fall on deaf ears. But I also have to believe that not only would the sheep come, but every now and then some of the shepherds would come. And they would come and take up the yoke of Jesus, the Pharisees. They would come and put down that yoke and take up the yoke of Christ and lean on him and learn from him. One of them that this happened to was Nicodemus. Nicodemus was one of the Pharisees and a ruler of the Jews. He was in that group. He was in that gang. He was in that mob. But John chapter 3 says that one night, Nicodemus came to Jesus. <laughs> when nobody else was around, he, he came to Jesus. He, he left the gang and, and said, I got to talk to him for myself because we know that you can't do the stuff you're doing unless God is with you. So, so the gang members are talking about Jesus, but they don't have the courage nor the humility to come to Jesus. But Nicodemus says, I'm going to come at night. I'm going to talk to him and, and find out a little bit more of who this rabbi is. And he came wanting to talk about signs. And Jesus says, no, let's talk about your soul. You got to be born again. You got to be born again. And Nicodemus had other questions, and Rabbi Jesus answered his questions. And we don't know what happened in the exchange after that, but Nicodemus went on his way. And we don't read about Nicodemus again until John chapter 7, where the Jews are talking about Jesus. The, the gang of Pharisees are against Jesus, and, 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 and Nicodemus stands up and says, wait a minute now, do, do we condemn someone without hearing them? So he made an itty-bitty step into the light and to stand up for Christ. And they shouted him down and they put him down. And the next time we read about Nicodemus is in John chapter 19. John chapter 19, when, when Jesus is on the cross and he has died and his body is hanging there. And the Bible says a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, along with Nicodemus, who came to the Lord by night, took the body of Christ off the cross and wrapped it in cloth and linen and placed it into a borrowed tomb. Nicodemus began to publicly identify with Jesus, whereby he didn't care what the bullies said anymore. The one who came at night, the one who made a little stand, now all of a sudden is standing where Jesus was crucified and he takes the lifeless body of our Lord off of the tree because it's obvious he took up the yoke to be a disciple. So when you take up the yoke, you then grow to the point where you're not afraid to take up the cross, where you're not afraid nor concerned about what people think. That's how you know. You're following Rabbi Jesus. So as I pray for you, I, I just want to know, number one, Christian, are you working with the Lord in the yoke? Or are you fighting against the Lord in the yoke?
Are you trying to make it your will? Or are you submitting to his will? Are you learning from Jesus? Are you leaning on Jesus? Are you in the word of Jesus? Are you talking to Jesus? Are you listening to Jesus? Are you worshiping Jesus? Check on where you are in your commitment as a disciple of Jesus. And being a disciple of the king is greater than being a citizen of the empire. Identifying with Jesus is more important than anything. Check yourself. But if you're not a Christian, you're, you're not a follower of Christ, today is the day. Come and take his show. Let him save you. Let him deliver you. Let him be your friend that will stick closer than a brother. You'll have somebody you can learn from and you can lean on. And don't you dare confuse the master with some of his children because some of his followers, we, we jacked up. So don't let our jack-upness keep you from him. So get in that yoke with him, okay? And you can do that today. Jesus, be my Lord. Jesus, be my Savior. But as I go to prayer, in light of the hour in which we're in, I want to pray for people who need to come out of the mob. I want to pray for people who need to come out of churches that they're teaching patriotism, but they're not teaching lordship to Jesus and the kingdom of God. Uh, you, you need to leave the gang. <laughs> you need to leave the Pharisees and you need to come to Jesus and you need to find a group of people who are following after Jesus, who, who are in the yoke with the Lord, where the burden is easy. The yoke is light, and, and, and Jesus came to set us free, free, freedom. For wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And if you're in a church where you can't have a differing opinion, if you're in a church where if you speak up against this proliferation that's been going in this direction for over four years of white nationalism, of white supremacy, of this whole governmental gospel if you want to be free come to Jesus come to Jesus get out from there be free he didn't save you for you to go under the yoke of a man or a woman that's going to lead you into destruction he saved you so that you can be free let's pray Jesus, thank you that you came to set us free from sin's penalty and sin's power and one day sin's presence. Thank you that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We gladly take your yoke. Thank you that you're in the yoke with us. Thank you that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you that you're patient with us because we are weaker. We don't know as much as we think we know. But I thank you that you don't cast us away. Thank you that you don't give up on us. Thank you that it's your grace that leads us into repentance. Thank you that you love us to where you want us to be. You don't law us to where you want us to be. We thank you for your truth that cleanses us, that convinces us, that shows us the way. And we thank you that you are truth. 
Would you help the believer today that's been fighting and struggling against you and not being in step with you, not leaning into you, not learning from you, too busy learning and leaning on other things and other people out here in this world. They've been deceived. But I thank you, Lord, that you sent a word today to say, wake up. Get your focus back right. Get your mind transformed so that you don't have to yield to the pressures of this world. I pray for that believer. And I pray for that believer right now, Lord, who they're in a church that borders on a cult. They're with a group of people who are not disciplers, they're bullies. And they range in colors and denominations. And I just pray for freedom. But also pray, Lord, for those out there who don't want to be around anybody because they don't trust people. Lord, you built us for community. And even though we're broken people in broken communities, you are the one who holds broken people together if we lean on you, if we look to you, if we learn from you. So I pray for folks who don't want to depend on anybody. I pray, Lord, that you'll bring them back into fellowship with people, even during a pandemic. Lord, save the lost today. Do what only you can do to touch and change your life by touching and changing a heart. If we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. All right now. Woo! Amen. Elder Aubrey up there clapping. There's just a few of us here. Let's give Jesus some praise today. Amen. Let's give Jesus some praise. The one who says, come on to me. All you who labor in the heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I got to show it one more time. Thank you, Pastor G. <laughs> Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And there you will find rest to your soul because my yoke is easy. And my burden is light by faith. Walk with this around your neck. Because when you pick this up, you're going to take that cross up. So let's receive the benediction. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or think. And it's according to the power that's working within us. To him be glory, majesty, dominion, and power in the church, both now and forevermore. And all of God's blessed, sanctified, loved folk who are in the yoke with Jesus. Can you say amen? <laughs> amen. Thank you, Jesus. Have a blessed day. And we'll see you Wednesday night on Facebook Live as we begin our series, Four Sisters Share About Soul Care. 6.30. We'll see you then. Amen.